Hello everyone and welcome to episode number 15 of Curiosity Killed the Rat. My name is Matt, I'm not a scientist, but I am a science enthusiast. And as always, I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Kate. Hello! Uh, yeah, I'm Kate. I, I am a scientist, I guess, of sorts. Um, I'm a neuroscientist, but I'm not going to be talking about neuroscience today. Um, as you would be, you know, well aware by the episode title. Today we're going to be talking about carnivorous plants. Oh, chomper chomper. Yeah, I don't know. I think is 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 really really hectic and really cool. I don't know. I know you need some convincing, Matt. I know you're you're sitting there like, you know, <laughs> carnivorous plants, pe- I, plants are just the anti-vegans of the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, they're actually they're so cool because like, okay, so if you think about it, right? The food chain, the good old the good old food chain. So as like as you know, plants are normally at the bottom of the food chain, right? Yeah. They're what we're call what we call producers. They take that good old sun energy, good old sunlight, and they turn it turn it into glucose. I'm familiar with this. That's the one. You are familiar with photosynthesis. Yeah. Good. Nifty. So yeah, right? Plants do that nifty photosynthesis thing where they take the sunlight, turn it into glucose, Mm. animals then eat the plants, get the glucose, and then you've got your carnivores at the top of the food chain, which eat other animals in order to get the glucose that they got from the plants. Yeah, like Mufasa. Mufasa's really at the top of the food chain. I don't think he won out in the end. No, but he's the king of the jungle. You know, when they're talking about the circle of life and everything like that, he's explaining the whole food chain to Simba and, you know, the the antelope eat the grass and then we eat the antelope and then we die we return to the grass yeah. and the cycle begins again. We went for different parts the of the song. Circle of life. I apologize for all of our listeners that I just did that. Uh, but yeah, exactly. Exactly. So the fact that there are some plants, in fact, not just some, many, many plants, 600 or more different species. That's right. More than 600 different species of carnivorous plants exist. That's at exist. least 599 more species than there are humans currently. I know, right? Crazy. Yeah. And so, like, there are, there are that many. And, and it's not just like they've all just evolved from a common ancestor and spread out into these different, slightly different variations. No, no, no. no. Mm. They've evolved, like, carnivory in plants. So where Carnivory. Plants I haven't eat. heard that word before to describe yeah, yeah, yeah. something of a carnivorous nature. It's where they nature. eat. Yeah, where huh. something eats animal flesh or, or insect flesh, um, so but gets their the, nutrients from from animals, is is where something is a is carnivore. The herbivore equivalent herbivory. I would assume so. I'd like I um, like that. Are we creatures of omnivory? Omnivory. Omnivory. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say yes, but you know, once again, maybe maybe fact check that one. We'll get a linguist on. Start one day. using it in in day to day conversation. <laughs> Uh, but no, carnivory ha- has evolved nine separate times. It's it's an example of what's called convergent evolution, where a bunch mm. of different species essentially like evolve the same trait s- completely separately of each other because it's just you know it's, it's a nifty trait good. to have. And so some plants, like one six hundred species of these mm. plants, have you know climbed their way essentially to the top of the food chain. But it's not quite it's not quite like that because, like I said, you know. The way we normally think of a food chain and carnivores and stuff and mm. how we, you know, is is the energy, the glucose, which is what gives 
you know, people, animals, yeah. plants, the the oomph to, to do their thing, right? It's just calories. It's energy. Exactly. Um, but that's not what carnivorous plants use their animal food for. What carnivorous plants use their, you know, insects, or in some cases, I'll explain, I'll go through a few examples later, but in some cases, you know, small frogs, oh. rats. Oh, you know? Oh, no. Small animals. Yeah. Yeah. Not not just insects. You could have kept um, that protein somehow, I guess. Yeah. Well, okay. So so Darwin was like Charles Darwin. Yeah. May have heard of him. As Good opposed old, old to mate. Um, uh, uh, Darwin, the, Northern Territory, Australia. Yeah, exactly. The capital <laughs> city of the Northern Territory. Yeah. Darwin, as in Charles Darwin, he was one of the first to talk about these carnivorous plants. And he actually, mm. he didn't call them carnivorous. He called them insectivorous. Right. Um, as in, they only eat insects. Um, but we've since found out the plants aren't that fussy. They'll just <laughs> they take whatever that they picky. will get as long as it fits. They will take exactly, exactly what happens. Um, so these carnivorous plants, um, mm. as we now know, essentially, yeah, they don't use their prey for energy. They use right. it for nutrients. So it's essentially like taking a popping a vitamin pill, like a multivitamin or oh. like a supplement, you know, something that's not actually going to directly give you energy, but it's going to help you function and that's... help you grow and help you be healthy without giving you energy. That's so weird because like you would think that the advantageous thing about eating other animals and the whole reason that for the most part carnivores and predators like us are on top is because of the mm. high calorie content that other animals have because they're basically just mm. like this calorie factory that takes in the lower mm-hmm. calorie plant matter, breaks it down for you and produces it so you don't have to break it down from the plant matter. You yeah. just get it as like a massive boost. But yeah, so are insects really that, you know, vitamin C rich that it's worth just discarding all of those, that, that brilliant glucose that's contained within it just to have like a really morbid multivitamin <laughs> see okay so it's not vitamin c it's actually first of all nitrogen is 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 one of the big ones and phosphorus and potassium this is stuff that plants all plants need all plants need these particular minerals and, and a few others um but primarily those ones to, to grow healthily but normally plants get it from the soil right, right. They, that's what their roots do their roots grow down into the soil and they absorb these nutrients from the soil so the reason these carnivorous mm. plants have evolved and and this is the sorts of habitats that these carnivorous plants live in is is plant is um sorry habitats that are you know very nitrogen poor soil like pretty much crappy soil. they they evolve in in they live in bogs and like swamps oh. and like, you know, really acidic kind of shitty, shitty places that have no nutrients. They have no business having life there, but as Jeff exactly. Goldblum says. Um, but then these plants life finds have gone, exactly. These plants have gone, you know what? Fuck this. I can't get my multivitamin from the ground, mm. but look at these things flying around or crawling over me. They have some some nifty mm. nutrients in them. Let me murder you and <laughs> steal your nutrient goodness so that I can And I live. suppose because at the end of the day it's a plant, it still has the ability, I assume, to photosynthesize, as it were. So it gets all yeah, of its glucose exactly. needs sorted by the sun. Yep. So then what exactly. happens so to they still all of photosynthesize, the, yeah. What happens to all the glucose in the animals that they kill then? What 
what do they do? I don't with know. I don't, I don't think they absorb it though. They just absorb the, so essentially what happens in the majority of these plants is they'll, they, I'll, ex, I'll explain in a little bit more detail in a do sec. Do the plants poop? Do they poop? Well, yeah, if they <laughs> no. eat and they digest the food, what no, happens no, no. to the waste? They must well, poop, yeah, right? I'm a, I just want to get I'll to the you. bottom of, does a plant poop, Kate? This is important. No. <laughs> Okay, so what happens is they excrete these digestive enzymes, which dissolves, you know, the the soft tissue of the plant, of Mm. the insect or the animal, sorry. The soft tissue dissolves, the nutrients get directly absorbed, and then what's left is the exoskeleton of the insects, or just like, you know, the husk, and, and that just dries up, and that just either falls out of the plant or, you know, in the case of some of the plants that have these big, like, cup things, it'll mm. build up over time in these in these cup Ooh. leaves until they die off and new ones grow and essentially they just fill them up like trash bags and get oh rid of gosh. them. Or, yeah, so the exoskeleton is just, like, left behind and just, like, <laughs> falls out. And... So less of a, a, a poop and more of a whatever can't Hardcore... get absorbed just straight up won't get absorbed yeah in a exactly it just like uh, falls out it's just it like just an gets open left digestive system open plan digestion yeah. <laughs> well because yeah exactly it like be- the thing about some of these plants is that they they don't have you know specialized organs like we do like our mouth is a very separate thing to our stomach mm. but these plants what is the mouth becomes the stomach and then becomes the mouth again and just drops yeah. out the exoskeleton sort of thing um, and so, okay, I'm going to go into some specific examples because he's very t- vaguely talking about these mechanisms. But like I said, there's, there's such a huge, huge variety and wide range in these types of plants that I right. thought it'd be easier to sort of like categorize them and go through a few examples. I mean, of, I'll start like, you off with the one know, that the coolest I, ones. the main one that I know, and I think most people would know is the Venus flytrap, right? Yeah. Yeah. The good old Venus flytrap. So the Venus flytrap falls under the category of what is known as a snap trap. Um, because, you know, I mean, we've all seen, yeah, right. A Venus flytrap, it, it snaps shut. And so we all know what a Venus flytrap looks right. Looks like, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that, that almost like mouth kind of structure. And it's it's like a living mousetrap in a way. It's like a living mousetrap, except importantly, there's, there's a few very kind of like specific features. So if you think of a Venus flytrap, okay. So we know it's, it's, it's kind of like, you know, you might want to think of it like a mousetrap or like a book sort of like closing at the hinge. Yeah. But that, that's not really what happens. So it's actually there's two, you know, there's a, the top of the mouth and the bottom of the mouth, two different lobes. And what happens is those lobes change shape. So initially they are convex. So if you think of it as like your hands, right? Yeah. You put the heels of your palms together and that's your Venus flytrap. Fold your fingers outwards, like you're flexing your hands out, and you've got a convex shape with the palm of your hand. Right, that's like the Venus flytrap. Little v open thing, you know, like whoo. yeah. But you're really you've got like a convex shape. Uh, as with much the palm as my fingers hand. will allow me to allow me to mm. do, or all those people who are double jointed and stuff, they'll be, you know, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like. But then what happens when it closes is it changes shape, like it pops through and becomes concave and that's what closes it and then the fingers interlock because it, it does have fingers as well not fingers it has you know they're like jail bars they're called cilia they're the little like finger protrusions that you know i always saw like, them as teeth 
Yeah, well, or teeth. Um, but when when it closes, they interlock and right. they act as as jail bars. Right. Um, and this is important because what happens is it actually it closes in two stages. The first stage it kind of closes, but it leaves a little bit of a gap between those teeth or between mm. those fingers. And that is so that if there's like a really tiny little bug that's essentially not going to provide much payoff if the plant goes through the whole process of digesting it, which is a lot of work. Like it takes 10 days for these things to digest a bug once Yike. it's caught. Like it's it's a hell of an effort. So if the bug's really small and it's not going to pay off, mm. then it can crawl out the little gaps. If the bug's really big, mm-hmm. it's going to freak out, move around a lot, and that's going to make it do the second stage, which is to go all the way shut, secrete a little bit of like fluid and seal shut. And that's mm. like where it becomes a stomach instead of a mouth. So like I was talking about the different organs. Yeah. So it goes from being this mouth with these teeth to this sealed compartment mm-hmm. that's a stomach. And then it starts to secrete these digestive enzymes, just like our stomachs do. And yeah. it does it just digests, it dissolves the insect, apart from the exoskeleton that's left mm. behind, absorbs all of the nutrients from it, and then it opens back up, drops up the exoskeleton, resets, and can go again. Um, but like... The way that that happens is really complicated because if you think about it, like there's no muscles in plants, right? Yeah, I was right? just thinking that. Like how do how does the plant actually move without any sort of muscle system? I mean, I'd, I've heard of plants moving in general, like, you know, sunflowers will follow mm-hmm. the sun and, of course, Venus flytraps as we're talking about, but I have no concept of how that would actually work other than... Mm. Uh, forest sprite magic (laughs) well it's not quite forest sprite magic but it is really cool because what happens is essentially this is where the neuroscientist in me gets really excited (laughs) so i'm just gonna once again for about the 20th time on this show i'm gonna take a little sidebar and talk about neurons (laughs) neurons (laughs) Yeah. Brain cells, you know, the things in our heads. Yeah. Okay. So neurons, the way that a neuron sends a message from the top of the neuron to the bottom of the neuron. So the neuron, it'll receive a chemical message at the top and then it'll do this thing, send it down the length of the neuron and then spit out a chemical message at the bottom. But in between, it's an electro electric pulse essentially that shoots down the length of the neuron and this is called an action potential and what happens is there's ion channels that open and ions so you know little charged molecules some flood into the neuron some flood out and a change in the electric current essentially then propagates down the neuron and that is how they communicate messages you know through our brain and our nervous system and essentially what makes our muscles move we've got motor neurons that then hit our muscles with this electrical pulse and that's what makes our muscles contract or whatever yeah yeah of course but yeah so same thing in a venus flytrap they have neurons so what happens they no no but they they have cells that can generate action potentials which is this electrical chemical current Uh. due to ion channels so Going back to our, like, talking about our Venus flytrap as though it's our hands, the palms mm-hmm. of our hands, right? Mm-hmm. So in a Venus flytrap, when it's open, there are these things called trigger hairs, and there's three of them on each lobe. So on each, essentially what would be the palm of your hand, picture yep. like a triangle of one, two, three trigger hairs in like a triangle formation. The two, the, the base of the triangle at the bottom and then the top where the knuckles yeah. are? Yeah, with the apex up near your yeah, knuckly okay. boys. 
So you've got three trigger hairs on each on each side. Mm-hmm. What happens is those trigger hairs are, are joined to ion channels, and when one is moved, it opens an ion channel. Ions flood into the leaf and change the electrical current. Mm-hmm. But what's really cool about Venus flytraps is it's it's a particularly complicated system because they don't just want something like, you know, a raindrop or a falling leaf or a bit of debris, dust, I don't know, whatever. If it's, once again, if it's not an insect that's going to pay off nutritionally, yeah. Venus flytraps don't want nothing so to do with it, right? So it's more sophisticated they, they than just like a, more sophisticated than just a, um, uh, what's the word? Not bi- biological, biological you know? tripwire, you know? <laughs> It, it doesn't just yeah. spring off movement. It, it can detect no, exactly. what is what. So, and the way it does that is with these trigger hairs. So you set off one, mm-hmm. it changes the electrical current inside the leaf like slightly, but mm-hmm. not enough to generate an action potential. Mm-hmm. What needs to happen is that two of these trigger hairs or the same one twice need to be triggered within a 30 second window. And if they're both triggered, then enough electrical change happens, enough ions flood in that it kind of passes this threshold and this action potential is generated, mm. right? So it kind of sets off a stopwatch with the first one by by shoving a little bit of electrical pulse in there, but that can decay and that'll fade over time. And if another one's not triggered within 30 seconds, it's like, okay, false alarm, no need for action. But if two happen, it's like, okay, that's not a coincidence anymore, pushes it over this threshold and this electrical pulse shoots through the leaves of the flytrap. And like, we can measure this just like we can measure it in neurons and in muscle cells. Like people can measure action potentials and record action potentials in venous flytraps. Like we know that this is a real thing. It's not a foolproof system. It can be tricked. I assume like you could probably like put a stick in there and like trigger them all the way. Yeah. Like people can set it off. Yeah. 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 It's like, but it's more to, you know, avoid accidents in nature. Yeah. Gives you a much higher chance of what you're snapping on is a bug rather than, you know, just a random falling mm. debris object. Because if it's just like one thing that falls into your fly trap and triggers one thing, well, if it's an inanimate, if it is an inanimate object, then it's not going to move to another trigger head to trigger that as well. So eventually, I assume it'll just fall out with gravity and exactly. time and shit like that. But if it yeah. lands, triggers one hair, and then it's like, hey, this place is all right. Let's get let's explore a little bit more. Walks mm. around a little bit. Bam, two or three trigger, more hairs. Boom. Bam, and that's. Yeah, the same thing that makes it go, like I mentioned before, there's two stages of closing, like where it closes mostly, mm. uh, but bugs can crawl out. But then if it's a bigger creature that's stuck in there and it's going to, you know, start panicking and moving around lots, that's going to hit a bunch of trigger hairs and that's what makes it close completely mm. um, and seal off. And then make it go full stomach mode. And make it go full stomach mode and start um, secreting these digestive enzymes. Mm. But, okay... So it, it triggers an electrical pulse, but how does, once again, that's, that's like our motor neurons, but there's still no muscles in this plant. So how does it, how does it change shape, right? How does it move? What, what, what the fuck is yeah. going on? Do you yeah. want to know? I have the answers. I say. Yeah. Yeah. I would like to know. Cause the best guess that I, I can think of is mm-hmm. like either it does just straight up have muscles, but they're made completely different from <laughs> ours. They're made out of like cellulose and stuff rather than mm-hmm. whatever the fuck muscles are made out of. I can't remember proteins and shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> Myofibrils and stuff. Yeah. Or there's like, I guess, I don't know. I guess technically speaking, it would be the same as muscles. Weird. Like, I don't know. 
hydraulic systems almost where you're using like water channels and stuff in the plants and things like that. Cause I, you know, that's something it has access to. It flows water up a stem that's mm-hmm. moving parts. It's got bits like that. Combine that with electricity. That's something, right? There's something there, right? <laughs> that is something. No, you're onto something with the water, with the water idea. So, you know, not quite with the muscles because muscle fibers work in a very specific way, but Water is, in fact, what makes this thing change shape. It's it's literally just a very, very simple thing of cells swelling and cells shrinking. Oh. So let me break this down for you. We're going back to our hand example with mm-hmm. the Venus flytrap. Just take one of the lobes. So just take one of your hands. Yeah. Now, there's two lobes within that one, you know, cover of the, of the Venus flytrap book. Mm-hmm. You've got your inner lobe, which is Mm -hmm. the palm of your hand, and then you've got your outer lobe, which is the, oh gosh, what's that part of your hand called? The top of your hand? The knuckles? The anti-palm? The the back of your hand? The back of your hand. hand. It's the back of your hand. Why was that such a hard term to arrive at? I remember from that uh, Doctor Who episode with the gas mask kids, uh, The Lost Child, (laughs) Are You My Mummy? That always started out with um, (laughs) the the first symptom of you contracting that monster disease was the kids Mm. would get a scar on the back of their hands. And I only know this because after I watched that episode, before going to bed every night for a solid two weeks, I would check the backs of my hands for scars because I kept getting nightmares and I was scared shitless that I was going to turn into one of these gas mask zombies. Yeah, I remember that phase of your life uh, where you got lots of, yeah. Look, I didn't Uh, watch Doctor Who again until I think maybe I was in year 10 or 11, and then I caught up to Uh, all the Doctor Who I had to. So the back of the hand. so we've got the palm of the hand and the back of the hand. Mm -hmm. So, like I said, when the flytrap is open, the hand is in this, like, convex shape, Mm. which means the palm of the hand is pushing out and the back of the hand is kind of, like, curling in. And that's because the cells in the lobe on the palm of the hand, which is called the inner lobe, mm-hmm. have lots more water in them. So they're expanded and that's what's bending it. And then the Are you talking on the back about the hand, the hand specifically here or the hand is an allegory for the Venus flytrap lobes? Well, yeah, sorry. The hand is an allegory for the Venus okay. flytrap. So the Venus flytrap lobe, mm-hmm. the, the inside of the Venus flytrap, those cells are really swollen. And nice. the outside of the Venus flytrap, those cells, those s- cells, cells are shrunken, right? Mm. So it's forming this kind of curved yeah. shape. Now, what happens when these cells are hit with this like jolt of electricity? Mm-hmm. It's a really cool, a really cool series of things happens. So when the electrical charge hits the cells, what they start doing is pumping a bunch of hydrogen ions into the cell wall of these cells. Mm -hmm. So hydrogen ions essentially are just protons, right? Yeah. And so what that does is it it makes the cell wall hella acidic, right? Because a whole bunch of protons in there, low as a pH, you've got a really acidic environment. We learned in our previous uh, uh, hydrogen episode featuring Declan. Go back and re-listen Curiosity Killed the Rat. Shout out. Shout out. Anyway, yeah, so the Um, walls of the cells get acidic because they become... um, ionized by this hydrogen, the AKA protons. Mm-hmm. Um, and a really acidic environment in the cell wall. So there's a particular protein in these cell walls that once it's hit by a bunch of acid, mm-hmm. essentially this protein relaxes. It gets really flexible. So the cell walls of these cells are no longer like these rigid set things. They become hella flexy. And mm. what that means is that these cells on the outside, mm-hmm. their cell wall relaxes 
That means like a balloon, a whole bunch of water rushes in and the thing can expand because the cell wall's gotten flexy. Right. Makes sense? Yeah. And then the opposite thing happens on the palm of the hand or on the inner lobe of the Mm -hmm. Venus flytrap where they pump out a bunch of ions and then via osmosis, once again, water follows the ions, goes out, and the cells shrink. Mm. So then it's just like the reverse situation where the convex side's on the outside, concave on the inside. Because there's, yeah, it's like, it's just completely a water pressure thing where, Mm. you know, a whole bunch of water floods into the outer cells, out of the inner cells, and the the whole leaf just changes shape and bends in the other direction. It reminds me of the, the physics for how we talked about how boomerangs fly with one pressure going above one thing and the mm-hmm. uh, opposite pressure going on the other side causing that kind of movement that flip um that curve but this mm-hmm. time it's just kind of contained within the system of the plant lobe itself i don't know if yep. the physics are actually similar but they <laughs> it's reminiscent to me i mean it's it's all pressure kind of the whole um, idea but no, of water just, moves yeah. water moves due to osmosis so there's going to be there's less water and the water want to get wants to get in there the electric charge opens these pores Mm. Um, relaxes these proteins in the cell wall and the water can flow from the outer cells to the inner cells and that's how the leaf changes shape. Ah. And it's all set off by these trigger hairs based on these moving about moving about uh, insects. That is insanely cool. Yeah, I suppose you wouldn't know how sunflowers move then because I brought that up as an example earlier on how plants move. If they follow I the- didn't specifically look up sunflowers, <laughs> but I'm going to talk about another example of another plant that also moves. And even though the movement is different and the way it's triggered is different, it's mm. also a similar thing in terms of acidic environment in cell walls, meaning that water moves via osmosis and that's what makes the plant move. Mm. So I would assume maybe sunflowers have a similar kind of mechanism in terms of using water to move. But I also, I could be wrong. I haven't looked up sunflowers. So if you're particularly curious about sunflowers, look it up yourself, you lazy buggers. (laughs) Or or email us in. Curiosity killed their... Oh. Uh, no, that's not our email address. Curiosity Why do we get it wrong every com? single time? What is I know, this? right? We <laughs> should make we an email address it? that we actually know. I Curiosity made it the most... I didn't even com. use the full title. I simplified it as much as possible. I, <laughs> no, it and should we be the easiest email to remember. Yeah, But what about but, other carnivorous plants other than the Venus okay. flytrap? Because the only other yeah. one that I'm aware of personally Um, because I remember seeing it in a David Attenborough documentary years ago, is the one Mm -hmm. that's like a a cup. It's like a it's just like this bowl cup thing and like the the outside of it's meant to be real slippery and then the when the bug lands on it, it slips in and falls and just basically into a pit of stomach acid and just drowns and dissolves and fucking dies. Exactly. So those are there's there's lots of different types of those but they're essentially they're a class of of carnivorous plant called pitfall traps and those particular Creative plants are called name. pitch yeah well that's that's the type of trap involved okay. but the plant themselves the plant itself is is called or the type of plant it's called a pitcher plant pitcher as in p i t c h e r like a like a, like jug, a, pitcher, a pitcher of, of beer water. as or, okay. or a pitcher of yeah no that probably yeah, that's funny Water, beer, you whatever, know, you know, whatever. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but you know, like like a jug, like a, a liquid holding thing, or your basin, or like you said, a cup. You know, whatever yeah. that works. Um, and yeah, I actually, this is one of the ones I sent you a photo of, um, which you can probably mm. figure out which one of the photos is this one. I'll um, pull that up. Yep. 
that Which, old mate. Yeah, I, I, the, it's interesting that you watched a documentary on it because I, I did find a clip on YouTube that I watched, which was David Attenborough, and he was in Borneo with, like, the biggest ones of these oh, hey. um, you can find in Borneo, which hold, like, they can hold up to three and a half litres of, of liquid. So, like, you know, picture a three-litre jug of milk, right? Yeah. Bottle of milk and, and add some. Like, and that's huge. And these are the sorts of ones where they've found the carcasses of, like, rats, and frogs and you know oh my God. small definitely not insects um because they can be huge but they can also be a lot smaller than that you know holding sometimes only like 200 mils of, of liquid but yeah like okay so do you want to you found the picture i assume yeah do you yeah. want to describe what describe what you see so oh boy i don't know there's so many different <laughs> places i could take this um <laughs> no so they sort That's of look like what? um f- Nice. They look like flower buds. (laughs) Like if you've seen how, well, you know, a flower bud before it actually blooms, but instead of having a flower on the inside, it's just a hole. That's probably a bad way of describing (laughs) it, actually. It's like a tube. It's like a tube tube. with a rounded bottom, but at the same time, it's got sort of a, I don't know, she got curves, you know? Like low Mm. key, those pictures kind of thick. (laughs) I'm saying. Yeah. they got some booty they got to hips them. hips for days. And but essentially, I, they've got lids the- as well, which is interesting. Um, it reminds me of, um, mm. like, um, um, uh, what are those things? Like, like a coffee pot or something, or a kettle, mm. where, like, the lid just opens up on a hinge to reveal the top and can yeah. shut back down. It's like a... So, yeah, yeah. Some, some pitcher plants, the lids can actually close, um, but most of them, they don't. Are they just um, there for aesthetic most purposes? Most of them... Yeah, most of these plants don't, unlike the Venus flytrap and some of the other ones that I'll talk about, these plants don't actually have to move to catch their prey. They just chill there as like a a cup, a very tall glass of death. um, (laughs) Forbidden. And and the food just fucking falls in. So like you said, like it's like a cup, right? It's facing out. So it's it's full of both, there's some rainwater in there mixed in with a bunch of like digestive enzymes and some bacteria. Okay. So what happens with these pitcher plants is there's a bit a little little bit of nectar, something sweet, something nice. Some of them actually have what's called um, conine, which is actually a poison oh. uh, mixed in with it, and then it acts as like a narcotic for these insects, and they come up and they're like, "Oh, this is good," and then they get poisoned and fall. Oh in. shit! That's it hardcore. just gets them hooked on yeah. drugs. Literally, and then, like, poisons them until they're kind of a bit intoxicated and they tumble into the pit of death and drown. Oh, my God, um, that sounds like a like a, like an urban legend or a fairy tale or something. Yeah, no, these are real. Drinking. Yeah. These are real. Do not drink uh, from the poison and... well, child, lest you become not yourself and fall in never to return. Well, but that's the thing. It's not actually the liquid within the cup that they're drinking. It's, like, at the top, at that lip bit, in the kind of junction between mm. the lid and the lip, that's where the nectar is and so they go there and they're licking licking the kind of lip of the cup or nice. the rim of the cup you know it's like a margarita with some fancy sugar sugar rimmed got some glass. lime and salt on there exactly and the bugs look that but it's also covered in this like really kind of waxy stuff that's mm. hella slippery yeah so the bugs go on and they're like oh this tastes good or sometimes oh this is drugs uh, <laughs> and then they slip 
in and then they fall in. And then once they're in, the whole inside is also covered with this waxy coating. And also there's these like hairs that like protrude down, like kind of spikes, like, you know, you got some barbed wire spikes literally uh, keeping them imprisoned. So it's so like they a serrated can't climb thing. up. One way. They cannot climb up. Ticket. Oh shit. Yeah. Right. And so then they drown. As you do. Uh, or die of exhaustion trying to climb up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, yeah, the whole digestive enzymes in the juices essentially just dissolve it. And and so what happens to the, um, the, the exoskeletons and... in this one? You say they just fill up? They Yeah, it builds. Yeah, it builds up. It builds up. Um, there's there's some then, cool there's some cool videos on YouTube of like a guy cutting one open and it's full of all these like dead wasps and it's uh, wild how many that they just hold. Sounds really gross. And so like, not lie. yeah, well these like pictures, these like you know cup like things on the plant, they you know they're just leaves that then turn like grow into this specialized shape. So like like all leaves and plants, they they eventually die right. and new ones grow. So they just kind of fill up and then die and then new ones grow and rinse and repeat. Right. And what about the Venus flytrap? Then is the Venus the the chompy part of that? Is that the well whole, when it opens each, back up again? But is each chompy bit an individual Venus flytrap plant or are those no. like leaves on? So plants will have yeah like maybe four or five different flytraps okay. on a plant. Right, yeah. I don't know why, but I pictured with the pitcher plants and the Venus flytraps that each one was its own individual. Are you plant, picturing like you know, like Audrey two from from Little Shop of Horrors, where it's just the one plant and it's its one mouth and it also feed sings me, Seymour, feed me. exactly. Yeah, more or less. Uh, I don't know. Little Shop of Horrors like shakes me more than I'd like it to. <laughs> I love Little Shop, um, and that's also probably why I'm so excited for this episode, mm. but we won't go there. Um, but no, 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 each plant will have several of these okay. um, traps growing on them, and, you know, it's just like flowers or leaves or whatever. They're, they're just specialised leaves that are grown in a certain way. lose a few if it needs to. Yeah, exactly. Huh. Um, it's not like, you know, that's the head where the mouth is, and that's the, you know, key source of yeah. consciousness in the plant. That, I guess nah, just because... Nah, nah. I don't know, I'm, I'm anthropomorphizing these plants too much mm. because they, they do the eaty thing like I do, so yeah, maybe they exactly. feel things. Well, who knows? I mean, they have action potentials, so who knows what they actually, <laughs> you know. Um, okay, but no, going going back to these um, pitcher plants, there's mm. just one in particular that I wanted to highlight as an example that I thought was hilarious, that literally, it literally eats shit. Um, it doesn't eat insects. <laughs> it, it it has a mutualistic, what's called like mutualistic um, arrangement with the mountain shrew, where the mountain shrew will come on and it will eat the nectar just like the insects would, but the mountain shrew doesn't fall in. It's too big. Um, but the way it stands when it's eating this nectar does a little poop, and the poo falls into the cup, and the cup digests the poo, and it gets it's all its nitrogen and everything it needs from the turds of the mountain shrew. It literally eats shit. Oh, God. Plants. Damn, nature, you crazy. Plants, right? Right? We Um, should say, I don't think, I think we forgot to mention that the picture that I'm looking at and other pictures we're going to look at over the course of this episode, we do have links for in the description. So if you're in a position to look at things as well as any of these things, right? Just just Google picture plant uh, and that'll come up. But I want to move on from picture plants. um, And I want to now look at flypaper traps which is a different class of of or a different grouping of the types of uh carnivorous plants there's two different ones that i want to talk about the first These one, the ones that look like weird hentai 
No, well, yes. Um, Isn't the tentacle monsters? The tentacle monsters are a type of flypaper trap, but I'll get to them second. I want to get to the other one first, which is the one with the with the flower. It just looks like a okay. it just looks like a regular flower. It's just like a flower it with really some does. leaves. I swear, I've right. I've Hella seen benign. That look like this when I've gone hiking. Like, um, well, I don't Australia know if I actually have, but Australia has a bunch of, especially the the oh. hentai plants, the sundew. Um, Australia actually, has. No, I think I have heaps seen some of, of these. these. Yeah, so these ones. Yeah, no, we saw them the other day. Actually, when we went out, we went some. Um, up the side of this hill and there were these plants on the ground and like in the light they had sort of this red hue about them they look like little red hairs on them and then when someone yeah. touched them it was like sticky and stuff oh so yeah that's 100 percent littered with these yeah that's a hundred percent the sundew which i'm going to talk about second because i just want to okay, quickly okay. talk about the butterwort yeah, yeah, first sure. let's um, let's do this butterwort. so yeah so it's essentially, it's just got a big old flower on it. That's not important. The important thing is the leaves at the base, right? Mm. So they just look like, but they just look like standard leaves, right? They just look like, you know. Yeah. It's just, I mean, it's a little a flower slimy. with leaves. Um, yeah. So the little, the, the little slimy bit, it's, it's actually covered in this stuff. What it's called mucilage. And mucilage is essentially... Sounds like a fusion of mucus and fuselage. Yeah. Well, it's essentially fucking superglue is what it is. It's superglue mixed with digestive enzymes. So what happens is is the bugs will just, like, land on these leaves thinking, you know, casual just the leaf to land on. Super nifty crash pad. And then they get stuck. And then they... Literally, they'll struggle, they'll fight, they'll try their best, and they just kind of die of exhaustion slash get dissolved uh, while alive. <laughs> Digested Just like the good old-fashioned glue trap. I've used plenty of them on gosh darn fucking pantry moths. Yeah, 100% um. <laughs> that's what it is. It is a glue trap. It's just the bugs land, and then the mucilage both sticks them and digests them and steals the nutrients. Is sticky enough if... I, a curious human, were to see this in the wild and poke it with my finger, would that be a regrettable decision? Oh, no, you wouldn't get stuck to it. You're fine. Okay. Uh, But for insects, uh, less than ideal. So then how does this plant um, extract the beautiful multivitamin aspect of the insect if it's just stuck there with glue? Is the digestive absorption bit on the leaf itself, or does it find a way to chomp it up? So there's essentially two different types of glands on the leaf. There's the spurt shit out gland that excretes Uh the mucilage and then there's the suck shit in gland which absorbs the nutrients so the bugs get stuck they get dissolved and digested by this um mucilage and then these other glands (laughs) like absorb the the good shit um you know Mm. get a hit of hit of the good shit straight oh yeah straight in them glands Give me that nitrogen, oh baby. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you know, just kind of hangs out and and does that. Looks pretty, but is badass. Okay, now now we've got. I think which are my favorite the the sundew. The they're also called drosera. Vegan hentai. Vegan hentai. Wait, nah, these <laughs> they're not vegan. They are not <laughs> vegan. Um, <laughs> so. Do you want to describe, Matthew? I have sent you two photos. I've sent you one from a distance and then one mm-hmm. close up. Um, but also well, you saw one in the flesh ones, the I other think... day. So tell yeah, me, yeah. what is it? What is a, so Drosera is the official genus name, but we call them a sundew because, you know, well, mm. they look they look like they've got little dew drops on them that sparkle in they the sunlight. Do. But I'll let you describe them in more detail. So the from a distance one is as I 
said looks kind of like a tentacle monster to me, but mm-hmm. it's it's a plant. Kind of looks like a little patch of grass, but mm-hmm. on the ends of all the blades of grass, it's got these like red hair looking things. But it's not and just on the, the ends, it's kind of like lining no, the it's whole like blade. Around, it's kind of like lining the rim of it, kind of like a chainsaw, but instead of a chain, it's little red hairs. Mm. And on the tips of all the red hairs, uh, there's little little tiny what look like Dew droplets sparkling mm. in the sparkling in the sunlight, which little, I feel might little give it balls its name. of glass almost, right? It's kind yeah, of yeah, like they, beads. Yeah, well, they kind of you know what I was thinking is it looks like the shape anyway looks like matchsticks. So they've got the big long finger tentacles, and then coming mm. off all the fingers are these little like hairs with balls on the end, or like matchsticks coming off with the little ball yeah. on the end and the the stick coming but down. Real, real tiny. But real, real tiny. I'm just looking at the closer one now and I'm seeing that the hairs are lining the whole blade, not just around the rim. Well, so there's a bunch of different types of sundews. Like there's heaps and heaps of different species, a lot native to Australia, a lot all around the world. Some of them, you know, we'll just have them around the edge. Some of them just have it at the tip of the fingers. Some of them have it around the whole way. The ones that I saw in person, they weren't like, they didn't look like grass like this. They looked more like the the leaves that are at the bottom of the... Mm -hmm. um, the flower from before where it's sort of yeah, like the you know, a, a, a sage plant or something like that where mm. it's just a pile of leaves sitting on the ground and spreading out but then these leaves have the the red with have the, the little and the stuff have on the them. little matchsticks um so they come in all shapes and sizes yeah then, they do there's the, there's the common thing between them the uh, are they all red or is it just the they're mostly like red these, and pink um yeah but there is some variation there as well um and they think that the they color the helps attract it yeah, but they all have. Mm. So what? What I'm gonna ref- so yeah, it kind of looks like they have these macro sta- scale tentacles, which are like the the big blades of grass, and then on the blades of grass mm. they have the little hairs, which I'm gonna call the micro scale tentacles, and they're what I'm gonna refer to as tentacles from now on. Is these tiny little matchsticks okay. hairs with little balls of dew or whatever on the end? Okay. So those little balls of dew are. <laughs> it's not in fact dew. It's mucilage. <laughs> It's the same ah. super glue digestive shit that I talked about on the other plant, but they, they kind of right. get secreted at the end of these little tentacle hairs and form little balls. And they look real pretty and they, they smell real nice and they're Dude. pretty attractive to, to bugs yeah. and stuff. So what happens is the bugs land on them and similar to before, they get stuck. But these plants, like, they take it up a level from the butterwort because these ones move. And what happens is when they land, when the thing lands on the on the little tentacles, the whole plant mm-hmm. will curl around oh. to maximize. So essentially it's trying to maximize the amount of mucilage surface area that touches the insect or, like, the prey, right? right? Because then the maximum amount of digestion can happen in one go. It doesn't have to work as hard. So it moves, the whole thing moves and curls around and essentially it like asphyxiates or drowns the prey in this mucilage. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like slow and painful and just not a good time to be an insect. Um, Yeah. Okay. Good to know. And I thought spiders were scary. (laughs) Yeah. And like, so this movement happens once again in a very similar way to how I described with the Venus flytrap, except it's not a concave convex thing. It's, you know, it's Mm. more like a stem or a blade of grass, but it's some cells get water, you know, flows into them because of this acid growth um, because Mm -hmm. of... um, yeah, because of this like acidic change in the cell wall and some cells 
lose water because of this and the plant then moves and curls around the bug. And once again, this is triggered by essentially an action potential, an electric charge that gets triggered. I assume by the hairs, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. If if a bug lands on one of the the tentacles or hairs, it triggers that, which if I had to guess would then uh, trigger some of the ones around it in proximity to that causing like a chain reaction thing so yeah. it just localizes on the point where the initial point of contact was yeah maximizing efficiency and unlike the venus flytrap this one doesn't kind of have that fail safe if you have to hit two within 30 seconds to cross threshold mm. like essentially i saw a quote um that said like the leg of a small gnat touching a single tentacle is enough to trigger the movement response so a tiny oh, little thing on just one of those little hairs on one of those little dew drops is enough to trigger the response and then yeah it, it's a you know cascading effect where it triggers more and more and the whole thing curls round and suffocates its prey and digests it digests it and then when there's only exoskeleton left it unfolds drops it and moves on (laughs) i wonder how it stays clean um like surely just like it would get all of the dirt on it yeah i don't know i don't know i guess rain washes it off yeah um and i don't know how Griminive mucilages, like I don't know whether dirt sticks to it or just insects. I'm not I'm not entirely sure, but mm. yeah, crazy right. And Darwin Darwin was obsessed with these, right? I found this Fair hilarious enough. quote that he wrote in a letter that he wrote in 1860, where he wrote, so remember there's sundews um or or called Drosera, and he wrote, mm-hmm. At the present moment, I care more about Drosera than the origin of all the species in the world. This is Darwin, oh, author of On Origin of the Species, you know. Yeah. Um, Father of modern biology and evolution and yeah. all that. And he was just like, shit. Origin of the Species is kind of interesting shit, but these plants, they're cooler. Um, and, like, I don't blame him. They're fucking cool. Um, yeah, no, I just see them as, like, this weird open digestive tract just like yeah. pointing to the world being like i'll take whatever comes this way and i'll digest it and if it's undigestible then it'll just fall off me pretty much Come at me world yeah it's kind of a pretty cool way to live and like it's really cool because you know there's some like in um northern parts of australia that literally they just like float on water so like i said you know this is essentially replacing the the root system of plants because they normally get their nutrients through their roots and there's some so they don't they don't need roots they just kind of float on water they get their energy from photosynthesis and then they get their nutrients from catching bugs and then releasing and then that's just that's just them doing their thing Oh, that's actually really cool because that's kind of like animals right where they don't need to be rooted to the ground they're this own self-sustaining little yeah which i mean i guess rooted plants are as well but the but idea these ones are of mobile? a plant being I don't able know. to yeah no i know what I you mean, mean. They like don't, it's cool they don't move themselves around but even still the yeah that's it's unique to plants mm. and that's that's cool in its own right you know yeah yeah all right there's one more um type that i want to quickly go through and okay. They are bladder traps. And so this is, it's called the bladder wart. And I haven't sent you a photo because I want to show you a video because it is metal as fuck how like quickly this thing does its like thing. But I'll quickly describe it. So essentially it's, it's in the roots that 
these plants have um, these little things, these little bladders, essentially. So in mm-hmm. the roots that go down into like either swampy water or like really wet soil. So it's not like, you know, assuming a, a the species of the plant. Yeah. Okay. So this is a species yeah. of the carnivorous plant that does need roots but yeah, yeah. for a different reason. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, right. you know, that I was talking about a particular example of a sundew in North right. Australia that doesn't have, that just floats on water. Right. These ones do have okay. roots and it's in their roots in the water that they have these little bladders. And these little bladders are used to not get nutrients from the soil in a normal way, but to like feed on these small aquatic organisms like you know mosquito larvae or small tadpoles yes this is a plant that eats tadpoles um so these little bladders kind of sit on the roots and initially scientists thought they were actually flotation devices like they were little floaties hanging Mm -hmm. out on the root system um but we since discovered that no they are not floaties they are murder devices uh and it's like (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, it's crazy as hell. Okay, yeah. So I'm going to show you a video, Matt, um, mm-hmm. and we'll describe it to everyone else of how these bladders catch their prey. And it's just so fast. And then I'll explain how it works after I show you. Okay. But this first video that I'm going to show you is slowed down 10... T- so this is 10 times slower than it happens in real life. Okay. All right? Well, let's go. Mm-hmm. Boom. Did you see that? Oh, what? I it it just it just looks like it flew in. It just yep. it just went in of its own volition. Okay. This, ti- this is a tiny scale by yeah, the yeah, looks yeah. of it as well. Um okay, so now this one's quite small, but yeah, like I said, they can be big enough that they can eat tadpoles. So now it's gonna slow it down just two hundred and forty times slower. Real quick, I'll just describe what I'm looking at. It yep. looks like it it kind of just looks like a it almost looks like a seashell in a way, but I know it's not. It's, it's just like a sort little of this balloon ball, like a little balloon with a small opening at like one a end sack. and this tiny little aquatic bug of some kind, I mm-hmm. assume like a mozzie larvae or something like that. Yeah. It just looks like it just flies in of its own volition. Yep. Okay. So this is 240 times slower. Okay. Okay. It's swimming past. Oh, 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 Vroom. that was not of its own volition. It looks like, the the it cr- did it create like a vacuum in there or something because that was immense yep. suction it just pulled yep. that thing in that was a hell of vacuum so the way that it works these little bladders normally what happens is there's these really cool cells that essentially spend their time pumping water out of the balloon creating this mm-hmm. huge huge pressure gradient so you said that there was a little opening at the end but that it, yeah. it, there is an opening, but it's sealed shut. So it's like a door, but it's okay. sealed shut, right? So what happens is that these these cells pump water out of the bladder, mm-hmm. creating this huge pressure pressure gradient where there's like mm-hmm. nothing inside and heaps and heaps of crushing water pressure outside. Then there's these little trigger hairs. What happens when these little like aquatic creatures hit a trigger hair? It opens the door which then the vacuum is like, oh, yeah, sucks in all the water because pressure. And the poor little right. bug that just happens to be right near the door because they opened the handle gets sucked yeah. in with all the water uh, and just goes, so the, and then it shuts again and the, digests the, uh, the creature's resting state is as it's got a vacuum in there, yep. so it's just like primed and ready to go yep. for whenever the trigger hair gets, gets gone. Yep. And then, boom, and it takes one hundredth of a second 
They're like that. You saw it was two hundred. That was insane. I will definitely. Fast. This link is hundred percent in the description. And yeah, slowed down mm-hmm. even two hundred and forty times. It's like, you know, the bug is moving so slowly, and then you see it still move quickly into the thing. Like it's it's in. Yeah. These are the fastest plants. Like how does it um ever? And it's like several hundred times. How faster does it create the, the vacuum? Well, it creates the vacuum by pumping the water out. So normally, you know, water likes to be at an equal pressure both inside a balloon and outside a balloon. Same with like air, right? You kind of right. want an equal yeah. pressure. But you've got these little these little pumps in the cells, in the cells of mm. that are lining the bladder, and it's actively pumping the water out. Like they're, they're it's, is, is it's it spending through like the whole skin. Yeah, of like the it's expending it's not just using the opening. No, no, no. It's expending <laughs> energy to just get water out. And so that means okay. you've created, you've gotten all the water out. The water really, really badly wants to go in because that's where there's yeah. no low pressure compared to the high pressure outside. The water so badly mm. wants to go in, but because it's a sealed entity, it can't. Yeah. But then as soon as someone opens the door. It's like, you mm. know, like a pressurized submarine or something, yeah, right? As soon yeah, as you open yeah. the or door, like ever, all the water rushes in. Um, or videos of uh, opening doors on aeroplanes in movies yeah. or in outer space and stuff. Exactly. Um, but what I meant was the um, the creation of the vacuum inside it, the way it pumps the water out. So that's through the skin of the bladder itself, not through the opening. Like it, No, no, not through the opening. Cells. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It's around the wild. whole thing. Yeah. The fact that it just its whole skin has kind of this one-way valve pump system built into the cells to yep. create this mega fucking vacuum. That's yeah. so insane. And then there's a bunch of these bladders all throughout the root system. And it just, yeah, essentially instead of getting nitrogen, just absorbing it through the roots of the soil like a normal plant, it likes to eat the things living in the muggy soil or swamp you know, oh, I think I forgot to mention this at the start, but the reason I chose this topic this week is because um, I started researching this because I do a radio show as well. Casual shout out, Radio Silence on <laughs> Radio Fodder. Um, if you want to check us out, just look up Radio Silence. But no, so I do it. I was looking up, I was researching this topic for a radio segment that I did, and I was just like, yo, the, these are so cool, and there is just so much here that, like, this tiny, this isn't enough. I need to do a whole motherfucking podcast on this shit and just dive oh, yeah. deep because, like, you know, my mind was blown. I just, you know, I'd heard of Venus flytraps. I had no idea the extent of this. Like, it's just, there's a whole world of carnivorous plants out there that just give no fucks and, and eat I think the creatures. thing that's just like, blown what? my mind the most is the idea of these plants being able to move without muscles and using mm, mm. just the nature of water and yeah. how it affects cells and, right? like, using electricity to affect the acidity of the water to weaken cell walls to yeah. create, like, different pressures and different sides to create... I know, movement. and, that's like, some none of this is biomechanics. Like, that's this awesome. is just, you know... Plants That's have just how evolved it to That's do just that how it do. because it was quite advantageous for these plants to be able to do that. And so that trait mm. stuck around and yeah, God, it's yeah. And it's I think so I also cool. love the aspect that they're not even eating them for food. It's just, yeah, like I know it's, it's, it's literally just like a cheeky, cheeky sup. <laughs> okay. Enough time on carnivorous plants. I think yeah. um, time to just like shuffle along to our listener question. So indeed. Our listener question this week is from Ben, and it's, why do weighted blankets make you dream more? 
And this was do an they? interesting question. Well, exactly. That, that was my first reaction. I was like, <laughs> do they? Because I, I have a weighted blanket and I can't say I've noticed this. Um, and oh. so I was like, okay, I'm going to dive into, I'm going to dive into the science. And as it turns out, all the reports of like weighted blankets making people dream more, like there are plenty of mm-hmm. reports out there, but it's all just anecdotal. And it's all just right. like people saying that this is what they've experienced. There hasn't actually been a study looking at whether weighted blankets make you dream more, and if so, how. However, having said that, there is okay. some logic to it. Like, it, it, if it is true that weighted blankets make you dream mm-hmm. more, as a lot of people have have claimed that they do, it actually kind of makes sense. So here's why. My best, mm-hmm. if I may present my hypothesis before you... May. You, you may indeed. ...give the real answer. I reckon it might be a sort of... Pl- or not placebo, but misinterpretation of like what's happening to them if there's someone who's got a weighted blanket presumably it's because they're someone who maybe has trouble sleeping so they're just not getting as much sleep or if it's an anxiety thing they might be missing certain sleep cycles at night including the REM one where the dreams happen so now just because of this improved sleep they're actually dreaming more which is a new thing for them so they report that as hey this makes me dream more but it just makes them sleep better which so, in turn makes more dreams. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned the whole idea of it being a placebo. And in fact, yes, the whole the whole thing behind weighted weight, weighted blankets? Weighted blankets. <laughs> which like, okay, I should probably explain for people who don't know what weighted blankets are. Mm. They're not weight. Normally it's actually glass. They've got little <laughs> glass beads sewn into them. But they're they're blankets that essentially mm. weigh a shit ton. They can weigh between like mm. seven and thirteen kilos. And they're, you know, marketed as being able to help you sleep better, alleviate anxiety. They're apparently good for autism, etc. Um, and so yeah, you mentioned you mentioned it being a placebo. And in fact, mm. you know, it quite possibly could be, and there we can never really prove that any of the beneficial things that we've shown weighted blankets can do. We can never really prove that any of this is anything other than a placebo, because how do you make a placebo control for a weighted blanket? You can't give someone a blanket and tell them it's not weighted, <laughs> or tell them it's weighted when, it when it's not. Right? People I swear can this tell. Is heavy. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh right? shit! I'm strong. Damn, yeah. Right? <laughs> so, um. All of this, you know, it's it's a very, very hard thing to test because... I guess what you would have to do is make both subjects fall asleep without any blanket on them and then during the night, once they're already asleep, you put the weighted blanket on one and a normal blanket on the other and then report their dream state. So they, I guess they yeah. If you, if you were looking, yeah. if you're looking specifically at dreams, but if you're looking at other aspects like, do they help you fall asleep? Like you know, right? Yeah, no, that wouldn't help with that. <laughs> yeah, so it's one of these <laughs> ambiguous areas that you know take all of this with a grain of salt because, um, but mm. like also you know, okay, so we don't know that it's not all just because of placebo. We can't really ever show that, but what we do know is that you know these weighted blankets, we we are seeing people self-report and also via, you know, measuring stuff while people sleep, we're seeing that these weighted blankets are improving certain aspects compared to when they don't have the weighted blanket. And one of these things, you mentioned REM sleep being the the dreamy, dreamy sleep. One of these things that weighted blankets, um, particularly studies that looked at weighted blankets and their beneficial effects for people with insomnia, they found that people sleeping with weighted blankets, they tossed and turned less and they had more REM sleep. Which, you know, right. for people who don't know what REM sleep is, REM 
REM stands for rapid eye movement, and it's the fourth and final stage of sleep, which it's also called the paradoxical stage of sleep because essentially your motor cortex and your brain is going fucking wild, but your body is paralyzed more or less because your brainstem is like running interference and it's like essentially inhibiting, like suppressing all of your muscles apart from your diaphragm that helps you breathe and your eye muscles because Mm. the rapid eye movement thing still happens. So, um, and scientists essentially think that this, this whole like being paralyzed while you're in REM sleep, they think that's to stop you acting out your dreams for the most part. Um, so that you don't walking and stuff like that. Yeah. Or if, you know, you dreamed that you're getting chased by something and you have to jump out a window to escape it, that you don't go jump out said window IRL. Um, but, you know, dreams don't just happen in REM sleep. Like, you can dream in non-REM sleep, but they're more frequent and more vivid in REM sleep. Okay. So what the the hypothesis is, or what I should say my hypothesis is based on the studies that mm. I read about weighted blankets, um, my knowledge of REM sleep and dreams and the anecdotal stories of weighted blankets increasing both the vividness and frequency of dreams, is that weighted blankets may in fact help facilitate this REM sleep. Um, and we know that, you know, it that it does also increase this REM sleep because like being weighted down your muscles are maybe then more likely to succumb to this, I don't know, the brainstem being like, okay, muscles, paralyze yourselves, relax, don't move. And, you know, you fall into mm. this type of sleep where your your body does not move, but your brain still does the dreamy thing. And so right. by creating a kind of physiological environment that helps, like, facilitate this REM sleep, your, your non-movie sleep, but your dreaming sleep, then weighted blankets, therefore, might help dreams be more frequent and more vivid because it's just making you rem rem more that's that's the (laughs) hypothesis so that's that's but once again we don't really know it hasn't been tested and we can't really just see that this isn't just a placebo thing about people that don't normally sleep well or don't normally you know there's a lot of of ambiguity around it because the nature of what it is exactly yeah um but You know, if I was to take my best stab at answering the question as to why weighted blankets might make Ben dream more when he uses one, um, probably because, yeah, it's creating this this physiological environment that allows your body to more easily slip into REM sleep and therefore spend more time in REM sleep and therefore have more frequent and vivid dreams than sleep that is non-REM. And that is the best that I can do. So that's that's what I'm gonna well, do. We hope that uh, answers hope it that satisfactorily. Your curiosity, Ben, mm. uh, and you too can get your questions answered, your mm. curiosity sated. If you email us in, what's the email address? Don't forget our up. email address: <laughs> curiosityrat at gmail dot com. That is curiosityrat at gmail.com yeah um, you can also follow us on social media we have a Facebook we have an Instagram do we, we have, have a Twitter, a Twitter as well? we do indeed we have, have a Twitter, Twitter. what yeah. are the ads for those Kate so at curiosityrat on Twitter or Instagram or just you know search up curiosity killed the rat on Facebook and you should find us give us a like give us a follow give us a cheeky review give us a thumbs up give us a five star rating you know all of tell the above would about be nice us, tell your family about us give us to you employers uh, so they can pass it out to their employees and then they can in turn give it to their friends and family who could then give it to their bosses and so we can continue to the cycle until eventually everyone in the world is listening to this show and everyone like is well knowledged my worst nightmare dies. if I'm going to be honest uh, and, but uh, sure pass it on we saved the world single handedly single handedly you heard it here folks 
Curious to Kill the Rat is going to save the world. The future of the world is in your hands. And with that, guys, thanks for listening. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Bye. Kill Curiosity. Kill the Rat. Curiosity. Kill the Rat. <laughs>